Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I am delighted because we have a full house again this week. In the studio, we have Rory K. Smith, Alison Rudd and Tony Cascarino. Coming up, we'll be talking through West Ham's win at the Etihad, Southampton and Manchester United. But there's only one place to start, and that's with Stamford Bridge. Chelsea and Arsenal. Chelsea coming into this horrible run of form. Worst five-game run in Jose Mourinho's career. They beat Maccabi Tel Aviv, but nobody read anything into that because Maccabi were kind of Muppets on the night, and Chelsea made a bunch of changes. I'm assuming you want to get this out of the way and start with the Diego Costa affair. Now, if only there was a large, physical, center, former center-forward in this room... Please provide insight. People tangle on set pieces. They're marking each other. Mm. Did Diego Costa cross the line and should he have been sent off if the referee had seen it? Um, or is well, that acceptable behaviour? What's happened? The, the game has evolved and changed. I mean, the Bob Latchford, the Mick Hartfords, Duncan Ferguson's, um, Alan Shearer's, Mark Hughes, all of these type of Billy players. Whitehurst, come on. I don't yeah, need to take okay. you to no, the, bring I'm up trying to make the, the right. point of the, the game has changed. Well, I'm watching incidents that I think are trivial. Is it against the rules of the game? Yes, but... Sensible, you know. I I feel I watch Costa and I think, do you know what? I'd love Arsene Wenger to take a video of the game and show Giroud. Giroud got sent off in Zagreb last week. He didn't get sent off on Saturday. Okay, he was a sub, but he intimidated. Yes, I loved it. Okay, let me ask the question again. Yeah, it's 2015. Yeah. Okay, we're we're not playing in the Mesozoic era anymore. All right. Would you expect if you see that? Do you expect the referee to send him off? No. No. Okay. No. Thank you. No. Those those swipey things are kind of tough, aren't they? Because you, it looked it looked really bad, but you, you can never be entirely certain that they're deliberate. Like Costa, because it's Costa, you kind of assume that maybe he's trying to swipe him. He hits him twice. Yeah. The, yeah. No. I'm. I'm just. I'm. Hits I, him. Yes. Well, describe to me what the hit was. The hand he didn't the punch face? him, did he? The second time oh, you, he, take, you know, he, he he knows exactly where he is because Koscielny's also a large man and he's behind him. And when you do that, when you move your arm, it's not like he's jumping to get away from him or it's not like Koscielny's grabbing but, him. But are you saying that's a hit? I, I don't consider that a hit. I, I, I look at it as, yeah, he's intimidating okay. and he's using his body, his upper strength and, and he's right. making himself... Be felt. This yeah, is, this is I don't, crocodile Dundee approach. I don't, I don't see it as hitting. <laughs> I don't see him sprawled out on the floor. 
Okay, because obviously you're, it's only a hit. Did you see the elbow of Gabriel in the game that Sky was showing and everybody was the elbow into the stomach that was as about as powerful as my two-year-old little boy gives to me and he's rolling around on the floor? Right. You know, the line of what you're seeing, I just find it... I sometimes fall out of love with football and this weekend was one of them where I think, do you know what, rugby players and other sports, many other sports, must look at our sport and go, wow, how soft is that game now? Somebody who's familiar with the laws of the game. Well, you game. can't send somebody off just for being annoying or irritating. Or right, we agree with that. Up, first can, you, of all. can you send but them off if you think they've deliberately hit somebody twice in the head? Yeah, but that that's hard to know, isn't it? He's got his back to Koscielny. Right. He is trying to control the ball. He is trying to shield the ball. Yeah, absolutely, he knows who's there behind him. Does he know exactly where his nose is? I can see why, as a referee, you'd think, well, I, I don't think that's a hit. I okay. don't think he's struck the opponent. Because so he's, if, got his, he's got his eye on the ball, uh, and that's what referees fall back on all the time. If you've got keep your okay. eye on the ball, you don't appear you to do be what doing... You're right. Almost. <laughs> right. Obviously, so not always. You, wouldn't have, you would not have booked him in that situation? I might not have, no. You might, not, might have. not have. Okay. I don't, think what about, I don't think it's dreadful decision. What about afterwards when he steps to Gabrielle? And the scratch, take... the scratch on the neck. Well, that the, one. The, the, the scratch, I think, is fair enough. It's, it's tough to see. But I know I'm talking when he goes and squares up to him and the guy takes a tumble. Well, it's not a headbutt, is it? No, 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 no it's not a, I never said it was a headbutt. But and it's not particularly violent conduct, either. So that's not a yellow card either. That's totally You could fine get away behavior. with saying that. You could get just... away with that too, yeah? yeah? yeah I think so. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then, then afterwards, was, it, was, was the chest on Gabriella or was it on Kishelny? I thought it was on Kishelny. It was on Kishelny. Yeah. Yeah. It's one soft Arsenal centre back for another. Okay, well, no, yeah. Gabriella's quite hard, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> extremely hard, as we saw. Okay, so that's not, then that's not a yellow either. And then when the two guys go and kind of hit each other and at first it seems like they're making up but in reality they're they're whacking each other in the chest that's uh, not yellow card either right whacking each other in the chest i didn't see a whack whacking with what it was afterwards after yeah. mike dean had handled the situation it was really funny right. that, that was, it was that, hilarious that, that it looked was, like that was the comic bit of it where where costa kind of did that thing where he sort of patted him but just a little bit too hard to say right. you're all right oh, yeah. and then gabrielle did did the same thing but even harder and if yeah. mike dean had just let them go at it that that's when they would have started right. to punch each other. That's fine. That, that, those aren't yellows they, either. They weren't. There was nothing violent in that. No. So you wouldn't have booked. Would you? You wouldn't have booked anybody at any time then in that. If I'd seen the um, scratch on the neck, I would have. Okay, but maybe I mean, assume that was violent conduct and sent him okay, out. I have enough a problem with Mike Dean's officiating that I'm not going to take him to task for not having three D vision. But is this is this not Costa's kind of weird warped genius that he knows exactly how far he can take it? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know. He, he doesn't, doesn't know get because sent you know off. what? You know he what? doesn't get sent off. Listen, we're, we're not playing jungle ball here. Okay, this is the, a normal referee in a normal situation would have sent the guy off, and even if he hadn't sent him off, even if. Like, the upshot of this, right? People are like, oh, Costa, man of the match. He's a genius. I'd be shocked if Mourinho wasn't behind closed doors talking to Rui Faria and Steve Holland and saying, like, do we need to lobotomize this guy? Because what's going to happen in the next game is he's already had such a bad rep. Yep. Well, you know, he risks possibly retroactive punishment, although I'm not... But this way, if he gets retroactive punishment for the scratch, I think it's a bit over the top. The reality is Dean saw it. It's, it's his responsibility. You know, you can't re-referee games. But this is a problem for Mourinho if this guy's going to behave like this because the next game, he's not going to, he's not going to get the well, benefit of the I think that count. was clear with the defence that Mourinho said afterwards that he felt he played the game in the right manner. Yeah. And his performance well, he's going to say was, that in public, but yeah, you know in private he's not course, doing that. Of course, be all right. He's going, to, he's going to say to him, you've got to be careful. You've got to turn a much tighter line. Because it was close. And if he'd have got sent off, I don't think we'd have all gone crazy. It was a mad red card. But I actually like football being played that way. Right. I enjoy it. Yeah, I'm not some crazy guy. I think that football is a contact sport. 
I want it to be competitive. Right. I want guys to so seeing two players chest each other and one falls over and it's a major. Uh, to me, it's embarrassing for the sport. You've got to remember that Cass is very much of the era of muscular Christianity. Oh. <laughs> yes, clearly, clearly. Well, hopefully, we'll go full circle and get back to that a bit sooner. Right. But Alison, is there? A, can you can you butter a player for kind of aggravating people? There must be, a, if you're con- continually kind of jabbing people... In yes, it's unsporting conflict, I would imagine. Must be, you must be able to butt him for, kind of, for being an aggravating presence. I, I would say that there is a real danger that there's going to be a defining moment this year where it could happen in a Champions League quarter-final, semi-final, a, a deciding game in the Premier League where he does cross the line. I don't rule that out because right. of the way he plays the game. A serious issue, I think, that, that, could, that, that is kind of more relevant is that Costa does seem to play the game almost like he gets distracted by the feuds he develops with, with central defenders. I, I understand Mourinho's argument that, that that's the edge that makes him the player that he is, but yeah. I think there are times when it actually well, I, detracts from his contribution to the match. Now, all of this overshadowed the fact that John Terry was benched for the second game in a row. Nobody's talking about this because we're talking about Diego Costa, but is it relevant, Cass? <clears throat> Obviously relevant for John Terry. Um, I do feel that, that when it happened for the first time, it was a decision that... I wondered how many games he would play between now and the end of the season. I think it's quite clear that because of Zuma's performance as well, that that's going to be there for a good long time. It's going to be there for weeks now. And will it turn into months? Obviously, results will, will be the ultimate right. decision there. I don't see John getting back into that team very easily at all now. OK, well, we're all mindful of the fact that many, many years ago, part of the reason that Jose Mourinho left Chelsea the first time was the team wasn't doing very well. And he had some issues with John Terry since repaired. Could this turn into an issue? I mean, if as long as a manager wins, it's fine. They, they win ten games in a row. You know, he could play Rui Faria at centre back, and Duncan Castles is the other centre back. Rui Faria would definitely get sent off. Yeah, I, I think Duncan too. Actually, possibly it's a bit hard. for overzealousness. But but I mean, John Terry is John Terry. You get the whole sort of dying of the light thing. Blah blah blah. He played every minute of every game. But yeah, I mean, is this something where he needs to he needs to handle John Terry in the right way? Could it could it come back to haunt him? Yeah, I think he probably does. I think it, as you say, results will define how it goes as they always do. I think it depends as well to an extent on how Terry takes it and what Mourinho has said to Terry behind the scenes about what his role now is. It it may be that Terry ten years ago didn't respond kindly to being dropped because he was in the prime of his career, he was England captain, blah, blah, blah. Now you wonder whether at 30... Is Terry 34? 34, yeah. He might be more amenable to the suggestion that perhaps he, he should, shouldn't play every week. But I agree with, with Cass that if you get kind of not bad results because it's Chelsea, they won't have a, a long run of bad results. But if, if results aren't perfect and Terry's not playing, then you are creating a p- the potential for an issue rather than, issue, than, than an issue in itself. Can he, can't, he can't win then, can he? Uh, Mourinho, we all criticise him for not rotating. The minute he does, uh, no, oh, Amazon, oh no, no, no. is he do? Is he dare he do that? No, but the, this is this is the price you pay. There is a yin and yang, an internal balance in football. The price you pay for having an iconic player like mm. Terry, like Steven Gerrard, is that you get all the benefits for 10, 15 years, however however long they play. But when Keen. the light when the light keen strolls, mm. gears the same. Is to manage when, the exit. When the light fades on them, you have to deal with that. That's that's the that's the payoff. When you talk a little bit about Arsenal, I was surprised. I thought Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil were extremely disappointing in this yeah. game. And Wenger, I'm guessing, felt the same way because he, uh, he, he substituted them. Does this whole Costa incident give Wenger a big, giganto alibi? Or should he be... I mean, should we have expected more from Arsenal, Alison? I think we always expect slightly more from Arsenal, don't we? They played all right. I, this experiment with Walcott, I found I, that was the to me that was the most annoying element of the Arsenal performance. Not 
Gabriel getting himself sent off. Thank you for not calling him Paulista, by the way. It's a pet peeve of mine. Okay. Yes, um, yes, I, I agree. His name is Gabriel. Yes, it's, a, it's like Paulista is... It's, it's, it's like saying, like, our... Terry Essex. Cri- like or Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> exactly. Do you call him, just call him Leonardo? Of course, nobody calls him Da Vinci. <laughs> and I think Sanchez is quite interesting because Sanchez has become one of those players who you're not allowed to say isn't playing well. And to an extent, Sanchez always plays well. Like, Sanchez's base level performance. <laughs> so is that like the, the you know, yag of Ozil where you're not allowed to say that Ozil ever plays well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but there's a section of Arsenal fans that, that refuse to accept that Ozil... It, it's it's this, this thing about, oh, he does all the work that you don't see. And you think, well, I don't see it. Then how on earth can he be doing it? But anyway, Sanchez... Sanchez always plays relatively well because he is such a wonderful footballer. But if you look at his numbers this season, his kind of key passes, all that, all that fancy jazz, they're way down. And you, you, you wonder whether Sanchez is... He had such a busy, such a long year last year, whether he is maybe starting to pay the price. He's definitely started slower, Sanchez, than he, than mm. he, he did last year. Well, you think he kept playing competitive football until the 4th of July or something? Sometimes what amazes me in football is the total negligence of a manager. Now... We've seen Montero rip Ivanovic apart. We've then seen Sterling take take him to the cleaners on a good few times. And Callum McManaman and, too. Okay, so a good few have done it to him. Yeah, exactly. Right. Surely you might think before the game, Ivanovic, if I can get one of my quick wide guys, oh, I've got a couple. I've got Oxlade Chamberlain. I could even use Theo down the left side, get him on that side. If I would even think of that against Ivanovic, you know, what does he do? He ignores <laughs> it. I mean, come on. Okay, Manchester City against West Ham. I, I'm, I'm a big Slavin Bilic fan. I, I think he has his ups and downs, but obviously you, you look at this, this record thus far and it's hugely impressive. What I'm wondering about, though, Alison, was this one of those games where West Ham did well to take their goals, Adrian made some great saves, City had some defensive blunders, but really if you replay this game 100 times, City win 99 times out of 100 because they did enough to win? Yeah, probably. But let's not let's not underestimate the power of the throw-in taken well. Because it doesn't matter whether West Ham win or lose, it all boils down to the throw-in. And I thought after this remarkable victory at the Etihad against a team that seemed to be running away with the title, that might be the moment that Slavin Bilic decided to talk about his team's spirit or the transfers that that they were clever about signing. No, no, he still talks about it all being about the throw. And the guy's obsessed with the throwing, and it's making me think maybe I've missed, maybe I've missed a trick. Maybe, maybe we've all missed a trick. Maybe this is how you do well in the Premier League. You concentrate on your philosophy at the throwing. I like that. I like that theory. I, think I would that, have that thought it was to me. Mangala being pants, which had a lot to do with it. Mm. No, but there's West West Ham are a bit like Pat- I mean, Palace lost at the weekend. But there's two or three teams now who are set up perfectly in the Premier League to play on the counter-attack to the extent that I wonder whether for teams like West Ham, for teams like Palace it actually suits them a little bit more to go to places like City where the opposition will have a, a load of the ball and that then enables them to play on the counter that takes all the pressure off them They're, and be yeah. disciplined with the throwing that throwing. only works when you've got Winston Reid on form and yeah, when it, Tompkins goes and bounces back from some of his earlier performances relies, and plays like the Tompkins we thought he was when he made his first way, debut, debut as a teenager isn't James Tompkins handsome? oh I, I, I definitely think so that, he's that, extremely that handsome stuff, the jawline yeah what a jawline <laughs> that man that is my tactical analysis of West Ham is that they have right. a very handsome centre half <laughs> ok we've reached our West Ham quota 
No, 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 but I think there's an interesting point there that, that they are set up for those games. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if they... If they, if they get the throw-ins right at Upton Park, oh right. my goodness, what Can would you happen? imagine what Champions League? Okay, but, it's, but by the same token, Roy, if they concede in the first ten minutes and they have to go yeah, and, does, and get it, out of the thing... It does rely... Four, you know. Playing on the counter-attack always relies to an but extent I, on the failings of the other team. Yeah. I also think, as, as Obiang, who I really like, as he gets... It's, as he settles more and stuff, I mean, I think Village is going to give them a different dimension, and, mm, and they won't definitely. just be a, a counter-attacking side. Company goes out. We were praising them. They kept a clean sheet and everything, and then, of course, they gave up two goals to Juventus, and now Mangala looks like last season's Mangala, just as we thought he was getting better. Mm. Is there an issue there? Like Too static. I think sometimes he drops deep when he should be pushing up. Is he uh, helped by Otamendi too? Because I well, the pair of them they looked like they'd never played other. before together, which yeah, they probably which haven't. They, they haven't. They didn't compliment, and I think City have a problem because I don't think their defending from the forward line to the midfield helps their back four. And if their back four is slightly weaker, they suffer. And they did. I mean, look, West Ham had, what, was it two chances in the game? It wasn't just about two chances. They've taken both of them. So it's been exposed. I would worry more about being stopping the ball higher up the pitch, which I didn't think they'd done. Mangala's a problem because I don't think he naturally knows where to go. I think he, you can watch him play and he's, like I said, he... I just feel he should be closing people at times when he then in, in decides to make the other decision, just drop off. And then create, spa- create sp- space. And West Ham do have players, like you just touched on, to take and get the most out of a situation. I mm. thought they did brilliantly. Man United watched Mangala when I was at Porto, uh, when it was Moyes who was manager of Man United, and they were weighing up whether to... in the in the vernacular of the, of the transfer story, they were weighing up whether to consider making a move for him. And they decided that Mangala, Mangala's problem is that he's, he, because he's so quick... His concentration and just his positioning aren't perfect. Just he knows his pace and get him out of trouble, and they felt that was his kind of his fatal flaw, his Achilles heel. He doesn't have that pressure to always be in the right position because he knows he is quick enough to get out to get out of the problems that he Mm. creates for himself. And I wonder that that analysis, which was United Scouts analysis, I think probably runs through his entire City career thus far. All right, but nobody's concerned that City. Nobody, there's no reason for concerned. City to be overly concerned. Well, I think there's flaws in their team that were so so far we all thought were impeccable. In one week, they've conceded two goals twice, and I thought Juve showed what the weakness is that everyone can see. Right, moving on to Southampton at the St Mary's. Uh, it was uh, I thought it was a very exciting game for mm. the neutral. United winning three two. Let's start with Martial because he scored. He's the greatest player in the history of the world. <laughs> okay. Now, if you want to be super negative, uh, you point out that one of his goals was offside. Uh, not him, but Juan Mata. And the other one was uh, kind of given away by Maya Yoshida. And one United fan, who's very, very negative, pointed out to me on Twitter that James Wilson would have scored those same two goals. The, the first one that he took very well, the turn was very neat. Mm. And he's obviously an ex- exceptionally talented player. But there is a danger when you have a player who who no one really knows a vast amount about, who comes in, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how they do, that everything they do that's good is dressed up as being the greatest thing in the world. And so I was, I was at Spurs on Sunday afternoon, sort of semi, semi-watching, semi-listening to the commentary. How awesome was Lamela, by the way? Lamela was terrible, but Son was outstanding. He wasn't, he was really good, Lamela. He was, he was okay, he was okay. Compared did to his nothing, previous performances, yeah, he was right, really good. Compared to his yeah. previous performances. And he, he also led the okay. counter-attack that led to the goal, so there. Anyway, <laughs> you sort of watch, the, I, I, you hear the commentary on the goal, and it's kind of an outstanding turn from Marcel. It's always incredibly exciting. And then, you, then I watch the goal on the replay, and you think that is a good goal, but it, it, it's it, not. This is the exact same thing Rory said last about, week yeah. 
about Martial's goal last week. Yeah, both both perfectly good goals. Nothing wrong with them at all. Great finishes, right. but not not nearly as but, exciting as they are dressed up as being. No, but they do have the context of the pressure on him and his age. Yes, and so I think you're right, Rory. But I think people know that they're, they're exaggerating slightly because they also know he's right okay. for a... Mm. David, just do you know everything of what Alison said after the words, you're right, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what was quite funny is that because he's scored three goals now, he, he's the 36 million bargain, but when it goes wrong, he's the 58 million. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like Andy Murray in Britain. Um, but the, the, the interesting thing about... The, the, the other crucial thing about Martial is that scoring three goals in his first two Premier League games Big. does kind of inure him to a bad run of form. He will That eases the pressure considerably. Mm. He could have five or six games mm. where he struggles and it, it won't be kind of... The scrutiny won't be quite as, as halogen. It, it's interesting because I'm trying to imagine United without Martial and I made the point last week that you have no... It's really no hard to do that now, isn't it? Mm. Suddenly, all I can think of when I think of Manchester United is Martial. It's just like the, the, the two things are mm. so intertwined. Don't be ridiculous, Gab. Have you been there five minutes? What do you mean you can't imagine them? No, I can't. I'll, I'll tell you why they can't, ima- I can't imagine them. Because when they play the lineup that we've seen before with, uh, with, with Schweinsteiger and Carrick and, and Herrera and, and Rooney and Mata, it's the most sluggish, least dynamic front six possibly in the history of the English game. Only Depay is the only one with wheels. And I think he realises that if he's going to play those guys, he needs to have at least one other person who can run, whether it's Young or Martial or, or Depay. Two out of those three people, I think, have to play all the time for, for United. Otherwise, it's not going to work. I mean, not if you have uh, Schweinsteiger and, and Carrick and Mata on the pitch. So... That being the case, I, I think he's actually going to play a fair bit. And I think he, his movement does a very good job of, of helping the other guys behind him. It doesn't help when you can stretch teams, when you can get behind them. And that's what them two give to United. So you bring the team higher up the park immediately. Right. And it's like the opposite. Like for the third when... goal. You know, look, Depay's turn and wait in the box. But the, the area he's got to, to strike the ball and, you know, it comes back off the post and, and uh, Mata finishes. But it was the manner of the goal which I think yeah. United have desperately needed. But if I think even if they play badly, we'll see them. Now, Ronald Koeman had a very different reading of the game. Oh, sorry, before we get to Koeman, because I, 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 we all like Koeman, right? Southampton's second goal, uh, did Chris Smalling get off like... Okay, you, let's get the expert on here, right? It looks to me like Graziano Pelé is kind of hard to miss because he's the tall, dark, mm-hmm. handsome one. He's standing a few feet in front of Chris Smalling. There's nobody else nearby. If the ball comes into the box, either it gets mm-hmm. cleared or Pelé will head it. It looked. Was he just like brilliant in getting away from Smalling? Did he? Not really. Of, no, Smalling is flat-footed. He's why? Standing how, and he's how is lost. that possible? Well, how's it possible? Because he's two. He's got. He's given Pella two or three yards to to literally stand, get up off the floor and so jump. So just terrible he can't defending. Get from, he, he can't get off the ground. He's flat-footed. As you see the ball, he's well, literally standing as he heads it into the top corner. This is what I don't understand about the guy. Admittedly, right, I, I, I have never met Chris Smalling, but I know people who have. And they all tell me he's actually he's a he's a really bright kid, mm. but he's not even a kid anymore. But like, if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Right beyond football, he's athletic, he's skillful. It just seems like such an obvious mistake. I, I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. It's a split-second decision, Gab, that's cost you a goal. These are, these are these microseconds of uh, decisions that can sometimes, if you get them wrong, and he did. He didn't get tight enough, and it's allowed Pella, who's six foot three, six foot four, to get half a yard on him to get a leap, right. and then he's got no chance of winning the ball. The hair saves superlative, right? Yeah. Uh, now, so if I'm Ronald Koeman, I look at the fact that the hair made these two absurd saves. I look at the fact that one of the goals was offside and I gifted you the other one. Does he have a point when he says that they deserved more out of this game and that you know they certainly deserved at least a point or a win? Because that seemed to really upset Louis van Gaal when, when Koeman said that. Probably upset him because there was some truth in it. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm hurts, trying to avoid. It? I'm trying to avoid the word deserve. I, I overuse it in football because it's sort of meaningless when you analyse it. But Southampton were in control of that game and then they went quite timid and I wasn't there, so I don't know what else Cumin was asked about it. But I, I did wonder at one point whether Southampton changed tactics slightly because they'd noticed how poorly um, United reacted when Swansea just sort of decided to change things around quickly and and Van Hal admitted they were slow to react to what the opposition did so instead of just taking a stranglehold and playing the, the game simply and having faith in themselves they sort of mucked about a bit in in in, in I mean they had the, they had the right the right hand side sewn up I don't know quite why they stopped doing that James Ward Prowse seemed to be world beaten and then suddenly he went out the game I don't know I don't know if that was just the players got nervous about it's looking too easy and feeling they needed to play conservatively I don't know so I sort of feel Southampton were the architects of their own downfall yes yes the but, but two of the goals were um yeah one goal was given away and one goal was offside so yeah, yeah I mean a draw felt felt right but um if I was Cooman, he can say what he likes and he doesn't really like Van Hal very much so he probably he's probably <laughs> having a little dig but but I felt that it was there for Southampton and he, he should be most cross with his own team or himself, depending on whose idea it was to go quiet for a long, long period in the middle of that game. All right, neat and simple. United are, um, are two points off the top of the league. Percentage chance that United will be the 2015-16 Premier League champions. Rory? 20. Alison? 17. 40%. 40% chance. You're that bullish on them. Mm. Yeah, I think... You guys are maybe slightly optimistic about United. I, know. I think there's some teams and some managers who are very good at not playing well and winning. I don't think Van Gaal is, is one of them. I think generally when his teams have won, and I think the World Cup is a bit of an exception because that's not his team, his teams have generally played very well and won. So I think either United starts playing well and wins, but I, I don't think that they can continue playing badly and winning. And... The other thing is, I wonder if maybe we're slightly under, uh, underestimating the importance of Mr. Luke Shaw and his awful injury, because if he's not, I think without him, I think Rojo at, uh, at left back, or I suppose Darmian can play left back too, although if he has a stinker like he did in the first half, he won't be playing any back. 
I don't know. I, I, I just think that could be that could be uh, an issue that some people have, have underestimated us for. Speaking of underestimating, English clubs, four Champions League clubs, three of them lose. The other one plays Maccabi Tel Aviv, <laughs> Bordeaux, Old Liverpool. It's a good thing, by the way, he rested all those guys against Bordeaux, so, so he could do so well against Norwich this weekend. Um, well, the man's a genius. Well, what more do you expect? Right. <laughs> so inevitably, people people find the uh, coefficient ratings, and they notice, hmm, there's actually a risk. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but if Syria outperforms the Premier League, because not even by an enormous margin this season, then the Premier League will lose their fourth spot from the 2017-2018 uh, season. Well, first of all, if were that to happen, would that be important, Rory? Yes, but not as important as it would have been had it happened, say, five years ago. Because the TV money in the Premier League is now so great that I don't think there'd be some. I don't think there's a risk of any capital flight from the Premier League. I don't think it's the case that lots of owners would go, "Well, there's no money in this for us anymore. We better leave." The the TV money definitely kind of protects the Premier League to a, to, to a certain extent. I think it's particularly important to clubs like Liverpool and Spurs who would find the idea of being in the Champions League, which gives you access to better players, even more distant, which would make it even harder to make that leap to where those clubs feel they belong. Almost as important, maybe not quite as important, to Arsenal and possibly to Manchester United. And most of all, I think it would be important to the prestige of the league. But in terms of the risk, and it is, it's all speculative, Serie A basically cut the gap by five points last season in the course of one season. I don't think it'll happen this year either. I don't think they'll catch them this year. But the direction of travel is negative for the Premier League because it's done over five years and five seasons ago it was the, the, the greatest point of difference in the benefit of the Premier League. Right. So, and four seasons ago as well. Yeah, so, so basically if, leads- if, they get exact, if they get the exact same points this season and next oh. season, then they will lose a spot. Yes. So they don't even really need to outperform the Premier League. No, they just they, need to do relatively yeah. well. Yeah. Which, I don't think, well, I, I don't... Well, it's th- the other thing that's important to remember is that it's all divided by the number number of teams you have in European competition. So the Premier League have got a huge disadvantage. And Wenger actually touched on it on Friday, and it, it didn't get reported as obviously ahead of Chelsea-Arsenal. It wasn't really important. But the problem is not the performance in the Champions League. It's the pro- it's the constant failure to take the Europa League seriously that's been the problem. Or which, is it the failure to take the Europa League seriously or just doing badly in the Europa League? Possibly, yeah, possibly. But then, you so you have to consider this season, the Premier League sent eight teams into Europe. Europe. Southampton and West Ham have already gone out. So everything, even if Chelsea gets to the semi-finals or, or City to the quarters or whatever, that is all, the effect of that is diluted by Southampton and West Ham's failure to do any, anything at all in the Europa League. If you go out in the group, you're better off going out from a coefficient perspective, you're better off going out in the group stage, dropping to the Europa League and then advancing to the semi-final than you are going to the round of 16 and losing to Barcelona, which is you know one of those quirks in the rules. Um, Alison, do you see a big pattern here uh, from last season to this season or is it every case differently and we shouldn't be generalising and in fact United probably deserve to beat PSV? I don't think draw patterns from one season but there is the five year pattern that Rory pointed out Right but the first two years of that pattern were actually really good for England so It was more that we were really bad for Italy yeah, Pretty good I mean you know, 19 points I think in 18 and a half that's pretty good it's not Spain good, but then no. nobody... You know what's absurd is Spain are so far ahead that like basically everybody could get knocked out you know, in, in the qualifiers f- for like the next three years and they'd still be top. Sorry, digression. Yeah. Isn't it time to ask why? Because that's how you discern, I think, if there is a pattern that means something other than just um, numbers that, that match up. Because what, why? Why? why have, it's Germany and Spain, isn't it, really, that have pulled away from no, it's England? No, Germany are... 
pretty much even with England. Spain are far, far ahead. But yes, sorry, you, can, you were saying... Is, there, is, is, it, is it just is it just statistic statistical anomaly that, that doesn't really mean very much? Or should, are we supposed no, to look I, at the statistic and learn from them and say okay. why is this happening? And I don't think the way we say things like oh, in Spain they don't take their domestic cup competitions very seriously, is that a truism or not? I don't think in England we take Europe as seriously as we think we do, and the Spaniards do. The way we set up the the fixture list and the manic. The manic amount of games there are around Christmas and Easter time and the mm. pressures that put on players, the type of football we play, the fact that there isn't... I don't think there's a game in the fixture list that a team could regard as being a, a simple one that they can recoup their energy from. Every game is just mad, mad, mm. mad, crazy, and it's wonderful. And they don't have that set up in Spain. And I'm not, so I'm not surprised they're pulling ahead because the way they play and their attitude and the way they take it, is, it means that they will automatically, I think, do better than us. But I, re- I read an excellent piece by a, um, an Italian-American columnist on the website ESPN, which made the point that everything, that you, everything you can use to criticise the Premier League now... I'm not criticising No, no, it. but to say that... To, or not to criticise, but to explain the performance of the Premier League now... Whether that's to do with the, the kind of the benefits of being in Spain or, or the deficiencies of being in England was also true between 2004 and 2010 when the Premier League dominated. Some people say, "Oh, we need a winter break." I didn't have a winter break between 2004 mm-hmm. and 2010. Premier League dominated. But just that. But the spending gap and the spending potential between the top Premier League clubs and the rest of Europe is bigger now than it was between mm-hmm. 2004 and but, 2010. But Alison is right that we do. It is time to, to look at an over. It's not a blip. Oli right. Kay said the other day that it's not a blip, and that's quite true. So you need there. to look at it and, and think. Right, so why is this happening? There well, is a need could to I, ask Could that I question. maybe make a, a suggestion? I think we should let Cass talk. Okay, Cass, talk. Kevin Pullen done a really good piece in the Racing Post saying the Europa League cost Premier League clubs between four and six points every season. That's what you'd lose when you was in the Europa League. And I think it was quite clear this year that West Ham were pretty delighted to be out of it. Right. Um, I, I, and I, I find that... If that I mean, I, Kevin I take Pullen's it. very good, so I'm going to go and yeah. check this piece out. I, I totally reject that notion. When you've got squads that are so deep, playing, you know, West Ham play Austria Gurju. And the other thing is, from an economic perspective, right, if you play in the Europa League, right, realistically, you're not going to go down. I know there have been cases where, where it's happened, but the economic benefit, those four to six points might be worth two, three spots in the Premier League table. So financially... 800,000 a point? What? Is it 800,000 a place? No, I think it's one and a half million a place, right? So so basically you're talking about a swing of four and a half million, something like that, right? You're not going to get in the Champions League. You're not going to get relegated, right? Doing well in the Europa League will generate far more revenue than that, not just because the prize money's up, the, the, the international prestige, then bring sponsorship, greater visibility, the outside chance of actually winning it and getting into the getting into the Champions League. I mean, as an economic transaction, even assuming that that number was true, it just wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't make sense for somebody to prioritize, oh, look, I'm going to finish ninth instead of 12th this year. I'm not debating, I, I, I'm not looking at thinking how much prize money and is it economically sensible. I just think certain managers like to be higher than places in the league and want to want to stay in the league. Right. I know not every team gets relegated, but so to some teams it would make quite a big difference, four, four to six points. I think in the case your of, season. of teams like Liverpool and Spurs, theoretically, not so much this season, you, you can make the case that if, if it's going to cost you four to six points in performance, if it's going to cost you four mm. to six points in performance, then it's worth concentrating on the lead because you want to get into the Champions League. And winning the Europa League is a long shot. It's a very hard competition to win. 
But for the others, I find it, and it's been true of lots and lots of teams from... I mean, I think Moyes always took it quite seriously with Everton, but a lot of other managers, Harry Redknapp being the best example at Tottenham, had this weird thing where they spent all season trying to get into Europe and then got into Europe and then complained about it. And there is a cultural thing with ignoring the Europa League that is the, 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 the English football, the Premier League, is now paying for. It's not like the Europa League is this gigantic priority for mm. for other clubs. I mean, if you talk about clubs in Europe's big five leagues, they generally expect to get out of the group stage. They rest players in the Europa League group stage all the time. That's why they have big squads, and they still generally expect to get out of it. And then you start worrying about it when you're in when you're in the knockout phase because that's when you start playing better teams, and that's when you, you know that's when it might take something out of you. You know, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of boggles the mind that this excuse we don't take it seriously. Well, I, I, but let's not I, underestimate I, snobbery, which fueled I, by Mourinho, okay. who Could, says the club of Chelsea stature should never even contemplate being in the Europa League, which is partly a dig at Benitez. But no, but sorry, we have, but, we have the snobbery about the Europa okay, League. I read Mourinho's words differently. Club of Chelsea's stature with Chelsea's wage bill, with Chelsea's spending, with Chelsea's recent history should not contemplate the Europa League because they're a Champions League club. You know, and if they are ever in the Europa League, it means that they have failed. But it is a bit of a sideswipe at the Europa League as a competition. Because the other competition is more important. But I mean, I I thought that that's what what, what he's getting at. I I might suggest that really there's a whole bunch of factors. It's not an enormous sample size, obviously. Some of the managers who've managed English clubs in Europe in the past two years either weren't very good because they're not really good managers, or they were going through a transition phase which 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 hurt them and I think that's why they tended to underachieve. So there. I win, right? Gotcha. Right, moving on to some quick hits. My man Hongmin San delivers the third win in a week for Spurs who overcome Crystal Palace 1-0. Cass, the hurricane is quiet right now. <laughs> so uh, can San pick up the slack? Can he? I, I love his endeavour in the game and the way he, he's always looking to try and get chances. I'd be worried about Harry uh, because he had a great season last year and I think he's doing everything right but he can't get the goal. But the longer it goes, the worse it gets for him because you subconsciously you're always thinking about it. Um, they need Harry to be back to last year to have any chance of qualifying for Europe. I would have asked you because you were actually at that game, right? But yeah, you know what? Did, did, was, was he right in his reading of the game? Yeah, Son was, Son was superb. I liked him a lot in Germany. And he yeah he gave him a real sort of spark, real energy. Mm. Uh, I, I think the Harry Kane thing is more of an issue than everyone is pretending it is too. Daniel Sturridge starts. Yay! But Liverpool have to settle for a point against Norwich. But that's okay, because Brendan Rodgers says that they deserved more. Alison, are you more encouraged by the performance or by Sturridge's return or by Rodgers' soothing words? Mm. Yeah, well, I'm really pleased that Daniel's back and um, I'd like to tick off all those people who who've stupidly claim that he's he's been slow to come back because he's got mental issues about his injury. No one wants to play more than him and uh, he looked a little rusty, but um, there's certainly signs that on a... On a individual basis he could get back to, to full full form and effectiveness but I mean how he'll play in, in in the system I have no idea and I don't think Brendan Rodgers knows. It was quite the weekend for Russell Martin. At 8pm on Saturday his wife goes into labour. He drives through the night from Liverpool back to Norwich, sees the birth of his son, flies back to Liverpool on a Sunday morning and then he scores the equaliser. Rory will you join me in celebrating this everyday hero? Yeah I think anyone who's ever had a night where they've not had any sleep 
knows how hard it is to function the next day. And you you add in the sort of emotional occasion that only Cast can really appreciate as a, as a recent father. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Well done, Russell Martin. He's got three this season. He's, he's um, a goal machine. He's a goal. He's a he's an, an impeccably fertile goal machine, <laughs> Russell Martin. Everton and Swansea play to a scoreless draw, but Kevin Morales gets sent off in double quick time. Cass, can you explain it? Maybe regale us with anecdotes of times you were tempted to pull a Morales, since you're sort of such a fan of the old school physical <laughs> side. And like Mourinho, this is why you watch the Premier League. Well, you're sitting on the bench, you're not in the first team, you're getting the ump, you buy players, they come into the team, you think, why not am I out there today? And you suddenly you think, you know what, when I get out there, I'm going to make a mark. And some players <laughs> make the mark in the wrong way, and Kevin did. Um, it'll frustrate his manager right. because you want a response with something else, not getting sent off. Watford are 10th, Norwich 11th, Bournemouth 14th. Allison, the newcomers are doing rather well. Think they'll all stay up? I'd like them to. I don't think they all will. Certainly one might. I'm wor- I, it's a worry. I mean, like Bournemouth, for example, Max Gradle's out for most of the season. Mings. Uh, Mings is out for most of the season, if not all the season. And they they need to do is make sure they get the money together in January and somehow it's very hard that January into isn't it but they've got to, they've got to, they've got to bolster their squad in January and the same goes for the other two clubs as well that's when they get muscled out because if things are going badly for the bigger clubs they find a way to spend their way out of it and those clubs they can't just get by on having young forward thinking managers Newcastle lose but what gets Alan Shear even more upset is Florian Toven showing up to the game wearing a tuxedo Rory, can you explain this inanity? And why are you wearing a tux now? Because I'm a very formal man. Like like uh, Tom Haverford in Parks and Recreation, I regard life as a black tie optional sort of opportunity. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't be wearing a tux in the morning the, unless you're a waiter. I, as I understand it, this is this is a hilarious banter reference from Tovar to Chancellor Mbemba turning up in a touch to his first game with Newcastle because his club suit was not available. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, the problem is that things that are hilarious aren't hilarious when you keep losing football matches. Uh, <laughs> just, sorry, if you get Alan Shearer's face when he talks about it, he's just. I mean, maybe he's making a big deal out of it, but I just love the fact that the guy, the guy obviously cares, right? He's yeah. obviously, and it just so he's just so disgusted, so upset about it. He's just like, what's funny? It's not funny anymore. Like, sorry. I always thought that um, I, I, I like every day that passes. I like Alan Shearer more and more. He's a hard. He, he's there's nothing wrong with Alan Shearer. He's a hard man to dislike. I always thought it'd be really funny to for a manager coming from abroad for the media to turn up to their first press conference in in black tie, and then sort of say to the manager, "Well, this is just how we do it in England. We just we just wear black tie." And then in the next press conference, just to go in normal clothes, but the manager would be in black tie. And they'll be like, what, what are you doing? This right. is, this is we, have to, we have to agree. When, when Lucien Favre takes over from, from Dick Advocate at Sunderland, we should all do that. Yes. We should all go out there in, in black tie. And you can wear some sort of alternative formal wear. You don't actually have to dress like a man, Alison. Not unless you want uh, to. Gab, I have a question for you. Oh, I'm thank re- you. I'm really interested in the answer. Some 7% of players tested anonymously by UEFA had elevated testosterone levels. Is that a sign that doping is rife in the game, or are they just manly men? They could well be manly men, or the fact that the tests were uh, conducted in 12 different laboratories could mean that they all used different standards for elevated testosterone levels, or it could mean that some of them had been on the lash the night before, or it what, could drinking mean... drinking testosterone? <laughs> no, I think as you'll read in Matthew Syed's piece, drinking alcohol can affect your testosterone levels the night before. Is that right? Lower or higher? I don't know. Again, why don't you ask Matthew Syed? Well, you read the piece. He didn't specify. He said you can get you can get bad readings as a result. 
Oh. It would make sense for alcohol to increase your testosterone levels, which explains binge drinking violence in right. our town well, centres. Well, I would have. Well, how does that explain Brewer's Droop then? That's a good <laughs> point, yeah. <laughs> okay. How does it explain Brewer's Droop, Gab? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist it. Yeah. Moving on. No, I don't think that this is a sign that doping is rife in the game. The whole reason that they did this was that they could establish baselines for a biological uh, passport. Some people simply have higher testosterone levels. They never tested a B sample. Uh, they didn't, you know, at the time that they had these elevated testosterone levels, they were also getting properly tested in competition, and they weren't testing positive for that. So I'm all for more testing, and they are introducing more testing. I think biological passports are, are definitely the way to go. But by the same token, there's certain people who are convinced that everybody's on drugs all the time. And because you can't prove a negative, it's like this giant conspiracy theory. It's a little bit like um, the classic film Rosemary's Baby, right? Remember when, like, when Rosemary's crazy and she thinks that there's a satanic cult, but there isn't really? It's all in her head? Or is it? I'm the only one who's seen Rosemary's Baby, aren't I? Yes. There you go. Is it a bit like Ghostbusters 2? Yes, it's exactly like <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. I am appalled, but I guarantee you Matthew Syed has seen Rosemary's Baby. Have you seen The Return of the Man that never came back? Do, do you spend your life, do you spend like your long commutes thinking of these things? I just... It's John Terry's autobiography. Clearly. <laughs> right, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, many, many thanks to my guests, Rory K. Smith, who, in case you're wondering, is not actually wearing a tuxedo. Or anything. He always takes it too far, doesn't he? There's a lady in our midst, Alison Rudd. Thank you. I apologize for him. You're so freaking juvenile. And Tony Cascarino will be appearing soon in a working man's club near you. Um, <laughs> please press that subscribe button. We'll be back next week. You can subscribe to our podcast uh, or you can subscribe to The Times. Um, for just £12, you get a 12-week trial. You don't just get The Times. You get The Sunday Times as well. But more importantly, if you subscribe, you will also get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. It's too good a deal to pass up. Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.